0: This is Elena with you this evening in this beautiful spring day as we look back on many anniversaries, anniversaries around the Vietnam War, looking at the lessons learned and the lessons not learned. From the Vietnam War. And to do that on hemispheres, we have two guests this evening. Um, I can't think of better people to give us a perspective on this. The first guest is Tom Hayden, who has been a peace, justice, and environmental activist for over 50 years. He was one of the founders of Students for Democratic Society and was the principal author of the Port Huron Statement, the revolutionary SDS document. He served for 18 years in the California legislature. He's the founder and director of the Peace and Justice Resource Center in Culver City, California, and is the author and editor of 20 books and numerous articles. The second half hour, we'll be speaking with Phyllis Bennis, who is the director of the New Internationalism Project through the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. So now we'll bring on Tom. Good evening, Tom. Hi. How are you? Okay. Well, uh, you were part of the Institute for Policy Studies and for a number of other events that were really looking at some of the lessons learned and unlearned of Vietnam. And so in the half an hour to start with, what are some of the things that you feel like you're talking to people from your um, long experience as an activist? I'm sorry? <laughs> can, can you hear me Okay. Yes. Okay. I was just saying that and you were part of um, yes. a panel and an organ an event that the Institute for Policy Studies did looking at Vietnam um, 50 years on. And I'm just wondering if you could share with the audience some of the perspectives that you have on lessons that have been learned and lessons that have not been learned and are still um, showing up as repeated problems.
1: Yes. There was a conference uh, May 1st and 2nd in Washington, D.C., There were about 900 people there from all over the country, veterans of the uh, Vietnam protest movement, Um, and we had a a, a march and and vigil at the uh, Martin Luther King Memorial to um, signify one of the points that we were trying to to, uh, assert, which is that uh, the uh, civil rights movement was the forerunner or the what what brought on the um, the Vietnam uh, movement, and that Dr. King was a peace leader, uh, um, not just a civil rights leader, and that we think that his memorial should be um, remembered that way instead of uh, what what has often happened um, um, since the, since his great speech in 1967 when the New York Times told him to stay in his place and don't talk about uh, anything but civil rights. So history gets shaped by each generation, and we want uh, King's history to be
0: uh, one of
1: um,
2: really heroic leadership in the civil rights movement. Uh, the, the conference was, uh, you know, was
1: one part um, just a, a gathering of people who— have not seen each other for uh, many years. Secondly, uh, many tightly organized dis- discussion groups on every aspect of the movement, the uh, Chicano Moratorium, the um, Kent State, um, Jackson State, the draft resistance. Um, the uh, overarching theme, I guess, was that the Anti-war movement is in danger of being forgotten, uh, and that uh, we we are very in, uh, worried about a Pentagon history that's well-funded uh, that um, explains the history of Vietnam in ways that we think are self-serving and uh, inaccurate. So we're trying to build a uh, uh, a movement about the memory of of the the forgotten power of the anti-war movement. I would say.
0: And I know we are on a landline here, but there seem to be some audio problems. I'm not sure if you're hearing them or if uh, uh, if you're using a speakerphone or if you're just using a regular phone, but hopefully these will uh, not continue to be an issue.
1: What, you never know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what kind of lessons would you say for people who um, remember the the protests against the Vietnam War, and for people who don't, for people who might not even have been alive at that time, but who might be um, having uh, involvement looking at the wars that we're in currently, what kind of lessons um, do, you, do you feel like people can learn, uh, what kind of things were being well, talked the,
1: the, um, Well, we all know how you know, we uh, behave stupidly sometimes and repeat the same behavior that got us into trouble. You know, and we wind up going to a therapy group, or sometimes jail, or somehow uh, we we have to get out of that habit. And what the the conflict of interest for the Pentagon, of course, is that they really uh, don't dare uh, consider that they lost a war, or that it was a catastrophe, that they lied to families, that thousands of people, millions of people, actually died as a result of this institutional misconduct Uh, neither would we find it personally uh, easy to admit that so uh, we have to write our own history Uh, otherwise um, the Pentagon is likely to repeat its history over and over for example just one example in Iraq they resurrected the um, Phoenix program from Vietnam in the um, the manual of the uh, Army and uh, Marine Corps counterinsurgency manual. They say that the program in in, um, Vietnam was misunderstood, uh, that they're they're trying to bring it back. Uh, One of these people calls for a global Phoenix program. Since probably none of your listeners ever heard of the Phoenix program, let me just tell you that it was canceled in 1970 after media and congressional hearings revealed it to be a widespread uh, torture and interrogation program that was meant to destroy um, uh, the civilian infrastructure of the Viet Cong in the Mekong Delta. So uh, it's got a very, very sordid and embarrassing past. And the idea that David Petraeus and the um, current leaders of our military would bring it back and not only that, but extol it and praise it, um, it's just an example of the problem I'm speaking of.
0: And um, I would like to let the listeners know that if you have a question or comment for Tom Hayden, you can give us a call at 303-442-4242. Tom, can you talk a little bit about what some of the myths around the end of the Vietnam War were and uh, how they began and maybe what some of the truth was. I'm thinking specifically of some of the things about soldiers coming home and um, the reception to soldiers.
1: Yeah, there's a a, a scholar named uh, Lemke, Jerry Lemke at Holy Cross. He himself is a vet and he... um, he wrote a book about this because he was puzzled uh, about the stories of vets being spit on, and he was, um, he was convinced that they were sincere, that they believed this. But he did some research, and he, he couldn't actually find a, uh, a trace of it. Um, this is really interesting. Um, he looked at all the hometown newspapers during the times, during the years when the guys came home, he never found a story in those years about any veteran being spit on or claiming to have been spit on, no outrage, no editorials. Um, and um, he interviewed a lot of people who said they, they couldn't remember, and he began to realize that he was talking to people who felt spit on. And they could have felt spit on by their parents, by the VFW, by the... Um, uh, Republicans of the time um, but it became transformed into a um, um a, a belief that it that somehow anti war people um, were were waiting at air, waiting at airports to spit on these people um, so i think that's that's a a myth that we really have to deal with um, um, I, I think it is a myth. Some people may say it's an exaggeration, um, but um, the, you should read the Lemke book. It's called The Spitting Image as an example of what you're talking about.
0: And can you talk maybe about some of the parallels between how the Vietnam War was started, some of the incidents that it turns out later were Uh, not what they seem to be, and then some of the um, things that have happened maybe in the 90s and even more recently that have gotten the United States into wars?
1: Well, the the Pentagon and um, uh, much more so the uh, Central Intelligence Agency um, have what somebody has called mighty whirlitzers. That is, they can can spin out almost any um, news release and Dominate the uh, airwaves, um, and uh, should not be allowed to write their own propaganda. As a matter of fact, it's against the law. Um, in the case of Vietnam, there was an incident known as the Tonkin Gulf incident, where it was made to appear that North Vietnamese had a, you know, a, a, attacked a couple of American destroyers with tor- torpedoes. Turned out later that the South Vietnamese were in the same waters attacking North Vietnam, and that um, uh, there was a great confusion over who had attacked who. But they just spun it as a, uh, you know, an act of aggression by North Vietnam, and it became immediately the basis for an open-ended um, resolution authorizing war. Called the Tonkin Gulf Resolution, and the, um, uh, the that authorization that authorization was um, repeated, uh, for example, at the beginning of the uh, Iraq War, where um, uh, you know the allegation that there were weapons of mass destruction held by Saddam Hussein. Uh, was the basis for a open-ended war authorization, uh, no time limits, uh, no clear definition of the enemy, no clear definition of the uh, purposes, but sufficient to keep up the, um, um, you know, the formalities of the requirement that there be some uh, approval by Congress.
0: In the Vietnam War, there were. Uh thousands and thousands of people on, on all sides that were killed. And the, the anti-war movement is credited with uh, maybe bringing it to a sooner end than the military might have done on its own. What kind of lessons from the anti-war movement do you think are pertinent to uh, the anti-war movement today as it relates to wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and now possibly Syria or other places?
1: I think the fact that there is an anti-war movement today is a uh, salutary fact in and of itself, um, because um, there's very few American boots on the ground. There's very little press coverage. uh, And yet opinion polls show that um, many people are suspicious of unwinnable, uh, unaffordable wars like these. And during the uh, iraq war there w- the first iraq second Iraq war, there were hundreds of thousands in the street on multiple occasions at least ten occasions um, the um, the existence there's there's a, a an actual block of voters who I would describe as the peace block they're not very represented but th- there is a congressional uh, out-of-Iraq Caucus, Congressional Progressive Caucus, but the peace voters um, are more numerous than people realize. Let me give you an example. Um, If we had leadership uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire organizing the peace voters, there would be pressure on Hillary Clinton uh, and other candidates that would make them respond (laughs) with proposals for Avoiding war, I think, just as um, Hillary Clinton has responded favorably to the uh, uh, cry of uh, the the need to end mass incarceration, the need to pass a um, minimum wage, a living wage. um, uh, Where where there are movements on the ground that are organized in these primaries, it's an opportunity to put pressure on the candidates. Um, This has happened again and again. The question is um, how you do that in the absence of a peace movement, how you do that when we've never created the uh, equivalent of an AFL-CIO or a national organization for women to advocate causes of peace. It, it unbalances the spectrum of the candidates, the spectrum of opinion in the think tanks. Um, it opens the way for neoconservatives to write the foreign policy platforms of Democrats. Everything shifts towards a um, hawkish direction uh, when, in fact, uh, one result of the uh, Vietnam experience is that many more Americans, tens of millions of Americans, are very skeptical.
0: I want to let the listeners know that you're listening to Tom Hayden peace a justice and environmental activist for over 50 years and an author of numerous books and also the founder and director of the peace and justice resource center can you tell us about what the what this resource center is and what what your projects are
1: we're tra- we're transforming it in much more into a democracy project um because the um the issue the issue obviously um raised in, indeed since uh, the 60s is the decline of uh, democratic opportunities, the rise of secret wars, secret money, um, secret agencies like the CIA, the FBI, the uh, National Security Agency, um, and uh, the, the steady loss of our ability to have points where we can intervene as the public for the public interest. And I think there's a reason for this. Um, the first reason is that the wars are very unpopular, so keeping them as secret as possible is a good thing from the point of view of the war makers. Um, the um, second thing is that the the um, the wars would be probably terminated sooner uh, if more people knew about them and more candidates uh we're forced to pay attention. So, uh, we but we have this on a, a, a string of issues from, you, you know, the dark pools of Wall Street money to the, um, uh, you know, the the banking system. Um, everything that becomes unpopular when it's exposed to the public uh, has a, a a curtain of secrecy drawn over it. Instead of it's being dismantled, and so uh, it becomes um, essential that we uh, fight for democracy. Um, and, and there are some who who can't share that passion. I know because they're a numerical minority, and um, they worry about maximizing voter turnout. They they worry about people voting. Um, they they like to keep things quiet because. Their positions are unpopular, and they um, uh, would would lose elections. Uh, They're known as uh, right-wing Republicans.
0: Hmm. Well, again, uh, we're listening to Tom Hayden. If you have a question or comment, you can feel free to call in in the next 12 minutes or so, 303-442-4242. So uh, as the elections are ramping up, in in a, a couple of years, do you find yourself working on uh, awareness of how all of these different things come together, and how they're all connected, and meaning peace, justice, environmental, um, democracy, all of these all of these efforts?
1: Yes, um, our project is uh, hosting a discussion with um, uh, Ron Brownstein, um, who is a more centrist uh, writer for the national journal next month in um, los angeles and we may be taking this program on the road Um, we're trying to show people how the country is not likely to come together in one red white and blue america as president obama said but that we have divisions that are permanent for now that are very uh... scary and that. Can be traced back to the Confederacy, the Civil War, the um, Indian Wars out uh, your way in Colorado, the Mexican Wars of the Southwest. There is a um, uh, an Obama coalition that's a majority that requires culti- culti- cultivation, requires unity, requires a lot of investment. Is uh, um, Uh, subject to um, division or or lapse, but at its best is a majority, uh, especially in even-numbered years. And that's what Hillary Clinton, uh, presumably the Democratic candidate, counts on um, uh, more than anything else. And so the, um, the country is going to either have a Democratic president or it's not, Um, a democratic-leaning or independent-leaning Supreme Court, or it's not, a democratic-leaning Senate, or it's not, we've already lost the House of Representatives, and for the moment the um, Supreme Court, and only have a a grip on the uh, presidency with Obama in office. And this is likely to go on, so you'll be treated differently in different parts of the country, whether it's uh, women's rights, reproductive rights, uh, marriage equality, um, access to uh, Medicaid health care, uh, uh, right to join a union, uh, 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 belief in the uh, coming climate c- catastrophe versus denialism uh, um, and uh, you know rejection of the climate thesis and probably uh, the issues of peace and war. So what, so what do you do in a country that's that divided? I think uh, what, we're to, what we're talking about is creating progressive achievements in, in all of the states that are now labeled blue, which are really not blue, they're progressive. Uh, living wage ordinances can be passed in conservative states at the city levels, but not at state levels. Um, and and we're uh, trying to get people to focus on keeping a, keeping hold of the, pre- of the presidency in order to influence the Supreme Court in years to come. But governing with a broken country how do you how do you make progress in a broken country? That's the issue.
0: We have a caller. Let's see Richard from Denver. You're on the air. Do you have a question or comment for Tom?
2: Well, first of all, I wanted to thank. Um, Mr. Hayden for his years of service. I really appreciate it. I think I heard you speak in Madison, Wisconsin in the early 70s and uh I've I've always appreciated your uh firebrand approach to uh the democratic process. And I'm I'm somewhat flabbergasted Wisconsin is a perfect example of the way this country has gone where big money is really ruling the day i think a oligarchy might be a much better term to describe this country with clinton running if if hillary runs and and jeb bush runs then won't that be saying something about what's really going on in this country that we have uh uh a power nexus that's controlled by the corporations that is just on un, we're unable to wrest it away and i really think that this next election is going to be it's going to be very important that that we bring up the disparity in income in this country and how it's growing wider and how that's a catastrophe for any nation around the world the health uh of the people that live in countries with a wide income disparity is worse than those with countries that have more equity in that region. I, I think that uh, we're going to need, unfortunately, for, for our public, we're going to need some slogans. We're going to need some propaganda. We're going to have to kick in the the left, uh, the progressive uh, um, uh advertising mind if you will to to sway people because right now uh big business uh and corporate interests are holding the day and what do we do sir what do we do <laughs> but thank you for trying i know it's a lot like don quixote's work sometimes i appreciate you
1: always hanging in there mr
2: mr hayden thank you very much
1: yeah, thank you for such a thoughtful question don quixote by the way was a, a a hero of mine um the the question you raised goes to the the exact point that i was trying to make uh, more in terms of analysis or strategy that the country is divided so you you will get um senator bernie sanders out of vermont raising these issues of income inequality disparity the one percent the plutocrats in presidential debates with hillary you will get um, a continuing influence of uh, elizabeth warren in the senate uh, uh, as she fights against these trade agreements you will see a rising prominence of uh, mayor de blasio in uh, new york city as he speaks this week in San Francisco last week in Iowa he's trying to build a progressive uh, political block and I, I uh, consider myself uh, uh, associated with each and every one of these these good people but you'll notice what makes it possible is their base um, you know, Vermont and New York um, uh, the, the the people of those states and, and others remain very progressive, and if anything is going to be done about the 1 percent through exposure, court cases, scandals, elections, it will come from that part of the uh, progressive states of America. Wisconsin is in the middle, and so is Colorado. I, uh, my family comes partly from Wisconsin. Um, I can't really explain it except to say that the, uh, the white middle class um, uh, has become somewhat more conservative, worried about their taxes during a, uh, a recession after the crash, uh, confused about Obama, and when you get a low turnout in the, in the odd years, you're likely to get Republican outcomes in places like Wisconsin despite the fact that there's a vigorous movement against the uh, the direction of the state there. So uh, we have to throw in the factor of the odd-year elections, as, as for now at least, a, a permanent factor that, uh, that causes us a lot of grief and make sure that we do as well as possible in the even-year elections. The president uh, and the Senate, the, there are 20 Senate seats coming up, because otherwise you just gradually um, lose the country to Republicans who themselves are unpopular and represent a shrinking base. But they're sophisticated at knowing how the system works. You get a hold of enough legislatures and enough uh, governors, and you can write the, uh, the uh, district maps for the election of House members. So no matter uh, what your popular standing is, you can get a grip on enough legislature, and they, they write the, uh, the congressional lines, and that's why the House of Representatives is lost now uh, for a number of years ahead. It, it's just simply uh, uh, superior, superior engineering and, and, and smarts by the uh, Republican apparatus. On on and money that I've read, I I would have to say you have money. money I, also, I didn't I, I, I didn't emphasize money, but um, uh, I, money doesn't necessarily make you smart. There's a lot of people with a lot of money who are not so smart. The Republicans also know how to focus because they're a minority. They're a numerical minority. They can't grow, and so they have to steal elections. Or, or through reapportionment, get control of seats. But as to money, I agree with you, and I think, um, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who has this view, but my own view on money is you keep exposing it and attacking it, but it's going to be settled by a new generation of lawyers who complain to a future court that democracy is being robbed by, by money because it violates the First and Fourteenth Amendments.
0: Well, Richard, I want to thank you for your call. We're going to have to wrap up this segment, but thank you so much and for calling in. Thank you in. for the show. Sure. Excellent. And, Tom, our, uh, our half hour is, is uh, just about over here, so I'm just wondering if, in closing, you can give us information on the Peace and Justice Resource Center and how people can find out more.
1: Yeah, oh, thank you so much. Yes, you can go to... Um, uh, it's simple. Go to TomHaden.com on, on the web. Look at Democracy Projects. Sign up to receive our journal, which comes out every couple of weeks, uh, and uh, write me your thoughts, and I'll try to, try to put you in touch with uh, good people on a number of uh, issues around the country. Thanks thanks again.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, we'll look forward to somebody catching up with you when you come out to Colorado in July. And all safe travels. All right.
1: Yeah, I'll be at naropa